Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are, you're able to take a moment now just to observe some beauty in your life while you listen to this podcast. Perhaps maybe you're wearing your favorite top, maybe you had some delicious coffee, or you just have your breath. Take an inhale here and an exhale. There's beauty in that breath as you inhale, that life force comes in to nourish you. And on the exhale, you're able to expel all the toxins, those things that no longer serve you. And so what more beautiful thing is there than that? To have this ability to nourish and cleanse ourselves. So good. So good. Okay. So today's episode, we are going to kick it off with Hafez. I'm going to flip through. Maybe we'll start at the beginning. Like maybe I'm going to just like flip through like this. Mismatched newlyweds. Like a pair of mismatched newlyweds, one of whom still, still feels very insecure. I keep turning to God saying, kiss me. I don't know what it is about this poem, but I just got goosebumps. So let me read it again. Mismatched newlyweds. Like a pair of mismatched newlyweds one of whom still feels very insecure. I keep turning to God saying, kiss me. Oh, I love it. I love it. So this idea of mismatched newlyweds. So we are married to God in this poem. We as humans are in relationship with the divine and it's mismatched. It's kind of lopsided because God, the universe, you know, the higher power, is all knowing is so brilliant and bright and loving and generous and all the things, all these amazing, vast, infinite things that even our human brain or human beingness can't fully grasp. We might have like the smallest glimpse of what that is, but yeah, we can't fully comprehend that. And then there's us, our little human being bodies with our limited minds. Um, our spirit souls are in here and we don't have access. And so in the poem, one of whom still feels very insecure, and that's us. We are insecure because we're like, really, God? Really? You love us? Us? Us flawed human beings where we make so many mistakes and we, we participate in negative, well, quote unquote negative, we'll say lower vibration energies, emotions that that weigh us down versus lift us up. And, and you really want to be married to us? That's Wow. I mean, that's the kind of love that God, that the universe, that the divine has for us. And for me, that feels so exciting that I feel so blessed. I feel so loved to know that there is this, this higher power that loves me for me and all of my mess, all of my flaws, all of my, you know, missteps. It's like, oh, you know, you still are doing that thing again. Still haven't learned your lesson, but I still love you. You know, and I think about that in relationship to my kids. So as a parent, I'm able to maybe begin to understand what the love of the universe has for us, what the love of God has for us as, as a parent, because I have unconditional love for my kids. And no matter what they do, even though I might get mad or upset or disappointed, you know, all the human feelings, 
I still love them at their core. I love my core loves them at their core, at their very essence. And, and yeah, I try to make sure that they know that all the time, but I feel that that in, in taking that example and applying it to our relationship with the divine, it's, it, it gives it a little more tangibility for me where I'm like, Oh, even though I messed up, you still love me. Oh, oh my God. That's, that's amazing. Really? And, and then, so some of us will fall into you know, imposter syndrome in the, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough storyline. And what I have learned in the, in the time that I've been working on my spiritual development, on my own evolution and in my own healing is that we are worthy because we're just here because we are, because we are who we are. Our worthiness is inherent. The minute we were born, we're worthy of everything. Our worth is already in us. And so those feelings of unworthiness, of not being good enough, you know, to be loved by the divine. I mean, one, that's, that's like, you don't understand that, that unconditional love from the divine. Like that's one piece to, to, to work on understanding. And then the other piece is, is that it's not even about worth. It's just that you are here and that is enough. And that is lovable. That is everything. Yeah. I just, so many things are flooding in right now. I'm like, ah, I want to talk about it all. But thinking about that, that last gesture, you know, the last gesture of the poem is like, one of whom still feels very insecure. I keep turning to God saying, kiss me. I'm like, you know, you ever, you ever in that mode, in that space of insecurity, but not to the point where it become self-deprecating. Just like you're not sure. You're like, okay, do they do they really love me? I mean, I can't believe that they love me. Really? That's wow. And you kind of want that confirmation. You want that that sort of that gesture of, yeah, you know what? I do love you. So I'm gonna kiss you just to like make it official. <laughs> and so I love that part of the poem because it's just this gesture of the human in us wanting that assurance even though we don't need it. I mean, maybe as humans, we need it, but it's already there that it's not necessary. We'll say it's not necessary to get that assurance, but for humans like us, our spirit souls in the body, having this human experience, that gesture of, you know, asking to be kissed is just so tender, but also there's a hint of ecstatic love in there. I just, I love it. I love it. I have this image in my head of, of me standing with, with God, this being of light, you know, and we just got married (laughs) and I'm like, oh my God, is this real? Like kiss me. So I know that it's real. I mean, that's another way to, to look at it. You know, this, this call to this request to kiss me, it's not just assurance, but it's also like, let's, let's make sure that this is real. What I mean, reality is, is all dependent you know, on various things. You ask somebody what, what's real and you, you get a different answer from somebody else who says what's real. But the, the gesture of the kiss feels like something solidifying, feels like, yes, I am here. I'm standing with the divine. The divine loves me. We're like these mismatched newlyweds. If God kisses me, maybe then the mismatch will start to even up a little bit you know, where I'll start to realize that I'm not whatever I'm thinking, you know, that I am worthy, that I'm not less than, that I am divine as well as the universe, as God. And yeah, I just, I love it. I just have to just keep saying that over and over again, because that poem, like, I haven't come across this poem in a while. 
So I had forgotten about it until I just read it now. And I am going to maybe print it out and put it on my <laughs> on my desk, on my wall next to my desk to see it all the time because it reminds me of the beauty of divine communion, of being in relationship with the beloved in understanding and remembering that we are also divine. You know, the analogy that I have of the sun, I, I keep returning to it because it helps me and my human brain, my limited human brain to understand the relationship of myself and, and humans and, and the people around us, our relationship in, in connection with, with God and the divine. So the sun being God, being source, and we are the sun rays right? And we are part of the sun, but we're not the sun. You know, we, we have our connection with the sun, but as a ray, we are extending out into space, you know, as an extension of the sun. And then, uh, yeah. And then we just radiate out. I love it. I love it. Okay. So what I was thinking about with that poem is what I had intended to speak about for this episode anyway, which is intuition and thinking about how that intuition is our hotline to the divine. <laughs> I just like thinking about that. Um, it's like the old bat phone, you know, for those of you that, um, that are Gen Xers, you may remember the old TV show Batman with Adam West, and they would always go to the bat phone <laughs> to call. The commissioner would call Batman on the red blinking phone and be like, "Okay, get Batman on the phone to the bat phone." You know, so um, I feel like the the bat phone for us is our intuition. You know, the way we have our direct connection with the divine, with God, and you know, some people might think differently, but what I what I think is that our intuition is that is that thread, that connection with the sun. Our sun ray is connected to the sun through our intuition. So thinking about, you know, a lot of people talk about intuition these days, you know, they're like, oh, listen to your gut, listen to your intuition. And sometimes you're like, well, how do I do that when I have all these messages coming at me to tell me to do this or do that? You know, look at the commercials in, you know, our media, look at the ads. It's like, if you do X, Y, Z, you will get this result, you know, and that might be true for things like, weight loss for physical fitness. But if you're looking to connect with your divine knowing, your divine knowing your intuition, there are different ways to connect with that. But what happens is that we get inundated by conditioning, by messages from the external, from people who raised us, from family and friends around us, from media, from society, from culture, that it becomes like layers of clothing over our intuition. You know, I imagine like when, when people first start, when, when airlines first started charging for suitcases, I was, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, just build it into the fare. Why can't, why do you have to like nickel and dime people? Like, you know, no one, <laughs> no one's going to want to pay for luggage. So what, what the joke was, was that people would just wear all their clothes <laughs> on the plane that they were going to take with them on the trip and then they would like sweat it out on the plane or whatever because they didn't want to pay for the the suitcase. Yeah, you have your carry-on, but if you wanted to, like your carry-on was jam-packed and you wanted to bring more clothes, then you would just wear all these layers. So that's what conditioning is. Every time people talk about layers of conditioning, this is the image that pops into my head, which I, <laughs> I think is so funny. I crack myself up, but it is. It's like your intuition is you and your birthday suit right? It's like, it's you stripped down to the core. Now, when you're born and, you know, and you start to evolve into a little kid, your subconscious gets shaped 
in those first seven years of life gets shaped so easily because it's like raw subconscious hanging out for anyone to manipulate. So depending on who you're around, that helps shape the path of life that you know, you walk on until you then become aware and conscious of like your choices and like, wait, why am I doing this? What's happening? So this is what I imagine. So from from birth to age seven, you start walking in the world, you, you still got your birthday suit on, you still know who you are, your essence, like you watch kids play and they play with a with abandon, like they don't care, you know, they want to eat dirt, they start eating dirt, the parents come in, they're like, that's dirty, don't eat that, that's bad for you, whatever, whatever, you know, and part of me is like, well, let the kid find out <laughs> that it doesn't, not good for you. I mean, I know, I know, I, I, our role as parents are to be guides for our kids to shepherd them in the right direction. But I think what happens a lot of the time is that parents forget to allow children the space to explore who they are so that the corral in which you are raising your kid is really small instead of wide for them to roam around. Now, I mean, and I say a corral, like a horse corral, you know, and thinking about Yes, they can go exploring. I'm going to try as a parent to set some parameters, some boundaries so that you're not like wandering off into the great blue yonder. And then you are so confused. You don't even know who you are, (laughs) you know? So anyway, so I imagine, you know, from birth to seven, we're walking around playing some wild, fun games, cartwheeling through the grass, going on the swings as high as we can, having a grand old time, like really enjoying life. And as I talk about this, I'm thinking to myself, it's a beautiful day today. I might want to go to the swings and just go and play on and like hang out on swings. I'm like, oh, the little kids might be like, that's cool. And the parents were like, who is this adult woman coming during playground time with the kids to be going on the swing? But anyway, I digress. And then what happens around age seven is that is then the clothes start coming on, right? It's like, oh, you're naked. Let's put some underwear on you. Let's put a shirt on you. Let's put some pants on you. Okay, now you can continue to walk and learn and experience the world. And what's that? Oh, you want to do, you want to put dirt in your mouth? No, no, no. You're too old for that. No, you should know better. Oh, you want to ride your bike in the grass? No, no, no. no. You know better than that. You need to ride your bike on the sidewalk or on the side of the street or on the driveway, whatever it is. Whatever is the correct quote unquote, correct thing to do, the right thing to do. And then so as we grow older and learn more lessons about what's accepted and what's not accepted based on feedback we get from the external world, then we start putting more layers on. Now you got a light sweater, a cardigan, maybe you got pants on over a pair of shorts you had. And so on and so forth. So you get the idea, right? And so as we continue going through our growth process from kid to tween, middle school kid to teenager to, you know, young college kid, young adult, et cetera, um, we get this feedback of the things that we're doing wrong, right? It's not often that people tell us what we're doing correctly or rightly or like in a good way. It's like every once in a while we'll get a compliment like, oh my God, that painting is amazing. Or, you know, yeah, you did, you know, you did that thing. But often those words of praise, those words of support are a result of you efforting, of you doing something that is quote unquote, correct, according to the standards that are being applied to you. So for example, in school, if you get an A on an assignment, you get applauded, you get celebrated, you get, yes, awesome. Yes. Great. Let's see if you can do that again. And then that's ends up being the path that most of us take. But if your intuition is like, 
yeah, no, I want to go do something else. And you do that something else, then people are like, wait, what are you doing? Uh-uh. We don't think that that's going to be anything. So the basic, most popular example, the most prevalent example is when kids finish high school. The presumption, at least here in the United States, is that they go to college, at least here in the Northeast, right? The idea of a trade school, for example, doesn't often, you know, it's not often encouraged, we'll say, you know, and when I say trade school, I mean something like an electrician or a plumber, you know, people we need, you know, who's going to keep the lights on in my house? (laughs) You know, the toilet gets clogged. I need someone to help me fix that, you know? So you can't, you can't knock the trades. If someone's showing interest in that, cool, you know, but there are some parents who are like, no, 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 you need to get an education first, quote unquote, and go to college. And so that starts to put more layers on. So now you got a winter coat on, you know, and maybe a hat, maybe some snow pants, you know, and never mind, like, forget if, if there's a kid that a high school senior that wants to do something in the arts, you know, like you want to go to college for stage management. What the heck does that even mean? It's in theater. What is that even a real job? Like what kind of money do you make with that? Who are you going to, what are you going to do? Put on plays at the local um, community theater for free? Like, what is that? Is that even a job? You know? And so that's sort of the narrative that is prevalent in our society. It's all ego driven. It's all like, what are you going to do? Not who are you going to be, right? How much money are you going to make? You know, and I understand that a lot of parents do it out of this sense of wanting their kid to be secure, whatever that means. Like, what does security mean, actually? You know, because people who do that path of college and then office job with a so-called secure job get laid off. You know, surprises happen. Everything shifts. Everything changes. The company's going through a reorg. You know, they get bought by somebody else and then people get laid off. And then you're like, oh, shoot, that was supposed to be my secure job. No. There's nothing secure. If this pandemic has taught us anything, there is nothing guaranteed. There's no such thing as security. There's no such thing as safety. Every moment is precious. And we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen later on today. You know, I mean, this happens to me a lot where I'm like, oh, I have X, Y, and Z to do. I'll do it later. I'll do it later in the afternoon. And then later in the afternoon happens, but something else popped up that I'm not able to get to the thing I plan to do. You know, like there was a kid emergency or something, you know, so unexpected things pop up. And I was like, oh, man, you know, and that's a mild example. We don't know how time is going to unfold for us. We don't know how our lives are going to unfold for us. For example, I um, recently, just yesterday, actually heard that um, one of my favorite fitness instructors, I I hadn't seen him in a long time because I left that particular gym, but um, one of my favorite fitness instructors suddenly died unexpectedly suddenly died. He, his name was Dwayne Riggins. And uh, for those of you who know him, um, you know who I'm talking about. Like, you know, he's, he was such a, a positive vibe guy. Like he was always like high vibes, everything. I mean, he was so awesome. And I loved going to his classes because he was always so full of energy and positivity and really like got us going. I always felt great after his, his classes, even just after talking to him, if I bump into him in the halls or whatever, but he died unexpectedly. You know, he, he passed out, he collapsed in front of one of his classes. He was teaching and he collapsed. And then he had, he had died while in the hospital waiting for a room. You know, he was in the hallway waiting and died of a heart attack. And it was just nuts because he presumably, I mean, I don't know the details of it, but presumably was a healthy guy. And it just goes to show that we don't know when our last breath is. We don't know our last day 
And what are you doing right now with this moment? Are you listening to the conditioning of what's going on externally in society, the people around you and culture? Are you operating from your intuition or are you operating from this big bulky outfit that we've now created? You know, are you walking around like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? For those of you who are Gen Xers, you'll know I'm talking about Ghostbusters. If you are not having any idea what I'm saying, go look it up. <laughs> but the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man is, is just that. He's like this giant puffy guy made out of marshmallows. And so now this is what you are. You have all these layers of conditioning. You've got the big puffy coat. You know, now we got, let's just add on some ski goggles. All right, we got some ski goggles on. You got your hat, you got some gloves on. Like, where are you now? Like, who are you? You're just this big puffy thing of fabric, right? That's what it is right now. When you're trying to find your intuition, when you're trying to tune in and be like, all right, where am I being guided? What is my calling in life? Who am I being? Am I being myself, my true self, my essence? Or am I being this stay, stay puffed marshmallow man? Am I being this, this big puffy thing of other people's expectations, of other people's thoughts about who I should be? You know, I have this shirt that says, don't should on me. Y'all should just get it. I'm going to put it in the show notes because it is an awesome shirt made by my, my friend and mentor. Lola Pickett, because it's a reminder that we have power. We have sovereignty. We can make the decisions that are for our best good, our highest good. And we don't have to listen to the shoulds, you know, until I say something like you should listen to this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I invite you to listen in. So language is really interesting because try removing the word should from your vocabulary just for a week to see what happens? Does your energy shift? Does your way of being shift? Does your understanding of what choices you're making shift? Just notice, take, take that one word out of your vocabulary for a week, see what happens. And another thing, instead of either or, try the word and. Yeah. And then get back to me. Send me an email, lesliean at surigia.com. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes too. And see if, if anything shifts because words matter. And we say a lot of things in our heads to ourselves that we're like, mm, I don't know if that's for my best and highest good, but that's ego talking. So we need to think about this de-layering. We got to peel away the layers. So how do we do that? How do we get back to our intuition? How do we hear something that's now muffled? You got to take some layers off. Now, I'm not saying you need to go into your birthday suit. I mean, you can, if you want to, <laughs> I'll leave that up to you. But you know, I take no responsibility for for you going naked somewhere. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm in a very playful mood today. Can you tell? So for, for getting connected to your intuition, we got to peel back some layers and it's not an instant process where you could like, you literally like unzip your jacket and take it off. And then you take off the sweater or whatever it is. Um, it requires some work. It requires some self-love. It requires patience. And you, you need to think about what is it that you want from this peeling away of layers, right? I mean, some folks are happy with living according to other people's expectations. I'm not, you know, but some people are, and that's their MO. But ask yourself, what will make you happy? What will make you feel like you have purpose, like you are being your truest self, that you are being your soul self, your divine self in this world? And sometimes that answer is, is kind of scary. 
You know, it's like, oh, this is not, mm, this is not the path that they mapped out for me. You know, I'm supposed to be working in a cubicle or an office or whatever it is. This is not, mm -mm, that's not it. You know, I've heard so many stories of people who left Wall Street jobs to go, like this one person, this was at a, a holiday boutique like some years ago. This one guy was like a trader on Wall Street and he quit started and opened up his own chocolate business. He is like a confectionery chocolatier and uh, he sold chocolates and he was so freaking happy, you know? And it's like, all right, that's amazing. <laughs> so it it's, it's not unheard of, we'll say, but to think about, all right, how do we work through these layers? How do we, how do we peel back what we, what we know is not us? And there are ways to do it. There's so many different ways. And I can't give you a crash course in a podcast. <laughs> It takes some time. It takes some deep work and you can do it on your own for sure, for sure. But then there, there might be a moment where then you are like, okay, I'm here now. What do I do? You know? And that's when, that's when a, a, a guide or a teacher can help show you the way, not necessarily take you there, but they can open the door or a window or turn on a light and say, here we are. What are you going to do now? But I will say that what you can do to start is meditation. There are other there are other tools too. It's not just meditation. You know, there's other kinds of tools like EFT, which is emotional freedom technique. It's tapping. There is breath work. There is hypnosis. There is subliminals. There's all kinds of things. And those are, those last two, the hypnosis and the subliminals. I know there is um, a stigma to attach to those two those two tools, and it's because it's been perceived as brainwashing when really you're being influenced every day. Brainwashing is, is a funny term because I had a teacher once that was like, well, it is brainwashing because we're, we're making your brain clean. <laughs> we're making, we're cleaning your brain of all the garbage. So yeah, it's brainwashing. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It was a good, a good way of seeing things differently. But in terms of the hypnosis and the subliminals, think about it. Like what are you doing in your everyday life that's already programming your subconscious and you're not even aware of it. So if you do the tools of hypnosis and subliminals, at least you are making that deliberate choice. You have an intention, you are aware, you're conscious of making the choice to do hypnosis, to do subliminals. Because if you think about it, you know what? This is subliminal scrolling, you know, through social media, whatever, scrolling anywhere, any kind of interaction with the device, there is subliminal action happening. There is hypnosis, you know, even with podcasts, you know, listening to podcasts depends on, you know, who you're listening to. It's information that you take in. That's all it is. And it's information that you take in, in a way that is not like studying in a class. You're not reading a book. I mean, that is also a kind of hypnosis and subliminal work, but it's more like, what are you exposing yourself to? What kind of information are you subjecting yourself to? Like, I, I don't watch the news. I don't read the news. I, you know, sometimes read some headlines and stuff because I want to have a pulse on what's happening in the world. Right. But I don't necessarily dive in and go like, oh my God. And then I'm all in outrage. You know, that's all it is. It's outrage all the time. And no, I'm not going to do that. So because I am intentional in how I am programming my brain, my conscious mind, as well as my subconscious mind. So don't be like freaked out about the idea of hypnosis and subliminals. But that is another way to um, help peel away the layers is to 
go in and see what the subconscious is doing, what the subconscious has been conditioned to do and understand and learn and act. And then you can, you know, once you identify that, then you can take all the weeds out. We'll call them weeds because I like the garden uh, analogy. We'll take out the weeds of the things, the beliefs, the limiting beliefs that don't serve you. And then we can clear the garden, till the soil, make it fresh and new, and then plant new seeds and plant plants and flowers in this garden of your, of your subconscious, of your mind, of your into, well, you're not really programming your intuition, um, to help with the intuition in thriving, in living your best life and living your best life serves the highest good of all people for real. But yeah. So anyway, those are the tools, but let me just tell you about meditation. Meditation is a, a good entry point into connecting with your inner knowing with your intuition, with your gut, you know, um, we can get into the, the nuances of it where the gut is more of an instinctual response to something, the intuition, which is your inner knowing. And you're sort of like the little voice inside of you that, that talks to you and guides you is more coming from the heart center. So if you can tune into the energetic source of the messages you receive from yourself, then you can discern between like, all right, is this an instinct where I'm trying to protect myself, you know, like thinking about the sympathetic nervous system and their freeze, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn response versus intuition that's like, mm, yeah, maybe you don't want to do that because that, not that it's scary, but it's not really for your highest good. So let's go this way instead. So there's some nuances there and that takes some work also. But what I want to offer you is at least meditation because that's accessible to anybody. Anybody can do it. And it's not what you think it is. It's not, oh, I have to sit still on a cushion for five hours and, you know, wrestle with my thoughts because the goal is no thoughts, no thoughts, no thoughts. It's not. No, meditation is, well, first, it is the listening part of prayer, right? I don't care if you're religious or not, right? You could be spiritual, but there, we all, we all pray in one form or another. You know, like superstitions are a kind of prayer. Like if you think about like sports teams, you know, you get so excited. You're like, oh, please, 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 please. Like when you're doing that, it's almost like you're wishing, right? You're like begging for like your team to score so that they can win the game. You know, that's a kind of prayer. So meditation is the other half of it. It's the receiving part. It's the listening for the answer to that prayer, to whatever it is that you're requesting. And so it's also a way to open up that channel into intuition. So all you have to do is to clear some time. It doesn't have to be a long time. It could be first thing in the morning, it could be three minutes and you just sit and you notice your breath and the thoughts will come. You know, whoever put this idea that you needed to stop your thoughts in meditation is crazy because there's no way, physiologically, there's no way to stop the thoughts unless you're dead. You know, unless <laughs> your brain dead, and um, and I don't mean to laugh about that, but it's just I was just being silly. I don't mean to, you know, make fun of that stuff. But if your brain is not working, that's the only time that you will not have thoughts. So your your thoughts are going to keep coming even during meditation. So you're going to sit, you're going to close your eyes, you'll just pay attention to the breath, notice the breath coming in through the nose and filling the body, finding where noticing where the, the breath travels. It's not just the lungs. Is it the front of the body? Is it the back of the body? Do you feel it coming down the neck and shoulders? You know, that kind of thing. And then once you get grounded in that breath, just notice the thoughts as you would. And this is Pema Chondron's thing because, you know, she's one of my favorite teachers that I have. Your thoughts are clouds in the sky, right? So I think, what does she say? You are the sky. Everything is just weather. 
I think that's the that's the line that she has. I love that. But yeah, so your thoughts are weather, but it 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 passes, right? It's not it doesn't stay, you know, it's not like a thunderstorm comes and it stays for a year. You know, it moves on. Maybe another thunderstorm comes, but it moves on. So that's how you can see your thoughts to observe them as you would, you know, let's say a meteorologist. Look, hmm, I see. Okay, I see those clouds moving from the west to the east because of the jet stream. So I'm just going to watch those thoughts just kind of float on by. I will not engage with them. I will just be the observer. The clouds, I'll tell you now, the clouds, the thoughts will try to rope you into them. They will extend their little tentacle hands, fingers, and cloud-like fingers, and then try to embrace you and say, come into the soft white cloud that I am. It's okay. And then what happens? You get sucked in and then the thoughts go. And then you're like, oh man, I was enjoying being quiet and like, being still and enjoying my breath. So just be, it's okay if that happens, but just be mindful of that. Be aware of that. You know, it happens to me. Don't worry. I've been practicing meditation for a while and it still happens to me where the thoughts will like come in at me and I see them coming. I'm like, no. And then I will have that awareness. Okay. Nope. You're going to go keep going, you know, keep going, keep passing through. But once in a while, if I'm tired or I'm just like, you know, like, okay, I'm just going to meditate. I'm not fully in it and intentional and engaged. The thoughts will carry me away. And then I'll finish my meditation session and I'll be like, well, that was no fun. (laughs) I didn't get any clarity. Thanks a lot. So, um, so yeah, so just, you know, try that and you don't have to do it for long. I mean, it's just about taking a moment to be in your body, to be present, fully present in who you are as a human being on this planet in the physical manifestation and, and then noticing the thoughts. And then once you get used to sitting for three minutes, you'll notice that it'll be easier to extend that time. And as you add more time to sitting in meditation, then it becomes almost second nature for you to detach from the thoughts and observe them with objectivity to be like, okay, I'm just a scientist taking in some data. So I know how to peel off the layers of all these clothes that are making me hot. I'm freaking sweating. It's a hundred degrees and I'm wearing a North Face jacket. No, we need to take this off. So in meditation, you will figure out how to do that. You'll, you'll find the source of your limiting beliefs. You'll be able to let them go. And yeah, so, so try that, you know, see how it goes. And then once you get to the last layer And I'm going to tell you now, there are infinite layers. You might think you're down to the underwear. (laughs) Nope. There's just another layer under there. There's so many layers that this work is never done. So don't go into the work thinking that there's an end game. This work is a lifetime. It's a process. But what's really cool is the process opens you up. It makes you more expansive. You feel like you're really blooming into something more amazing than you ever thought possible. It's really cool. And that alone, at least for me, is enough to keep working. And work is such a weird word. I still am working, <laughs> ah, I keep saying it, on with my friend Lisa on developing some kind of new word for the kind of work that we're doing. Spiritual growth, spiritual development. It's like that kind of thing. But I think there needs to be a different word that's like work, but not the word work. So if you guys have ideas, please send them my way. We can collaborate. But I do want to say this. Do not get frustrated by whatever results you might be expecting when you sit in meditation. That is one thing about meditation is to let 
expectation go? And that also requires work. <laughs> How do you let expectation go? You know, that's a different podcast <laughs> episode that I could talk to you about. But to just be in a world where we are always doing and we're always being called to do things and be quote unquote productive in doing something. It is a challenge to just sit and breathe and notice your thoughts. But that's my invitation to you. You know, you want to peel all those layers. That's where we got to start. All right, my friends. So hopefully you are inspired to get to that intuition, to get to that inner knowing so that you can make choices that are in alignment with your highest self, in alignment with your purpose on this planet in this lifetime. Because when you find that, it's like freaking magic. It's like everything goes your way. And the things that don't seem to go your way are actually going your way. <laughs> I know it sounds funny. You're like, what are you talking about, lady? You know, when things happen that feel negative, like let's say you're going down, you're walking down the street and you have a specific destination and somebody throws up a detour sign. You're like, man, now I'm going to be late to wherever I'm going and I got to go take a detour, whatever, whatever. You know, that actually is part of your path because it's the universe saying, you know what? You're going to go this way because there's a lesson I want you to learn so that you can level up, so that you can become even more open even more your divine self. And those growth periods, man, those, those detours, not a cakewalk. We'll just say, we'll just say that, but it's all worth it. It is. Trust me. I promise you it's all worth it. All right. So anyway, I am going to pause there for now. I hope I've given you enough to get yourself started on this path of self-awareness, but also to begin to peel those layers to get to your intuition. Because our, when we can move in our lives from our intuition, things just are so magical. And if everybody was doing that, oh my God, this world would be amazing. I mean, the world's amazing now, but I mean, there would just be more of it. That'd be so cool. Okay, so I'm going to end the, <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs> I've got uh, The World I Leave You, Asian American Poets on Spirit and Faith. I love this book. I always find, I mean, I keep reading and reading and reading. Okay, here we go. This is called, this is a poem by Dewey Doan. This is called Allegory for Family Members. Now I just went random, so I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to trust that this poem is the one that needs to come forward. Okay, so here we go. Allegory for Family Members. Ba Nguai, who will pray for me when you are gone? The master of ceremonies with her microphone. A young child making hand shadows over palm leaves during a sermon. The braids of a toy mare. The mare. Did my confession make us closer? I killed the Pope, huddled next to you, burrowed along your side, face down in supplication. I'm ruined. I've been corrupted forever, Ba Nogai. When you told everyone I was your favorite, was this before or after I confessed? One's the prodigal son, the other is his brother. Either story works for me. On my birthday, too many lines and the Pope dies. Guilt, Catholic gifts, red and gold paper, packets wasted on games, the green banana ripening, red dust lining the lip of the New Year's face. Like there's so many layers in this one, <sighs> but I can't, <laughs> but this is not poetry class, so I'm not going to go over it. But if you want to talk about it, you can reach out to me and we'll, we'll debrief. <sighs> All right, my friends. And so we come to close this episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing is so necessary for women writers of color. 
Whether we know it or not, our traumas hold us back from expressing and becoming our truest selves. How can we be more present to this? How can we create new ways of understanding our hurts so that we can heal them and step into our life's purpose with radiance? Follow me on Instagram for messages of healing and support as you walk this journey that brings you home to yourself. Find me at this handle, at Surya Gyan Yogi, S-U-R-Y-A-G-I-A-N-Y-O-G-I. Or visit my website to learn more at suryagyan.com. Your best healed life starts now.